Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Spring training is underway, and next month there might actually be minor league baseball in downtown Hartford. Maybe you've heard of them. The Yard Goats? The team stadium is slated to open, finally, in mid-April, but that's a show for another day. Today we'll hear why Major League Baseball has broken from tradition with rule changes that have irked some baseball fans. Does the end of the intentional walk mean anything to you? That's coming up later. Speaking of entertainment, we wanted to check in on the latest plan to open a third casino in Connecticut. Now this week, the Mashantucket Pequot and Mohegan tribes chose East Windsor as the town where they want to build a $300 million casino complex. And yesterday, the tribes and East Windsor officials gathered for a signing ceremony, formalizing their partnership. The choice could not be more simple. Will Connecticut sit back and let our jobs and revenue head over the border to Massachusetts, or will we fight back? That's Rodney Butler, chairman of the Mashantucket Pequot tribe. That's audio from WTNH. Now, this is not a done deal. Here with us to explain the process is Kenneth Gosselin, real estate and financial services reporter for the Hartford Current. Uh, Ken was here a few months ago when we were talking about casinos. We're happy to see you back. Well, thank you for having me. Last time we spoke, uh, the Pequots, the Mashantucket Pequots and Mohegan tribes had actually reopened their search for a possible third casino. Back then, there were a number of towns in the running, uh, Windsor Locks, East Windsor, East Hartford, and Hartford. Remind us again why the tribes are pushing for this third casino. We did hear that clip from Rodney Butler um, putting it very concisely. Well, there's very big concern about what the uh, impact of the new casino and entertainment complex being built by MGM up in Springfield will, how it will affect the gaming industry in Connecticut. And uh, this is seen as a way to kind of respond to that. there's a couple of issues here. There's the jobs that are associated with gaming, and there's also the money that the state gets every month from the slot revenue that goes into the two casinos. And there's concern that both of those could go down. So slot revenue, 25% of slot revenue in that original gaming compact signed mm-hmm. years ago with the state of Connecticut, slot revenue is eroding? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. There's, uh, of course, when Foxwoods and Mohegan Sun first opened back about 25 years ago now, there weren't very many casinos around. They were really the only game in town. And now, over the course of time, we've seen them open in Rhode Island, New York. Now, of course, Massachusetts is getting into it. So there is a lot of competitive pressure on casinos now. I understand East Windsor was actually eliminated in the first round of the proposals from towns. And then that, then the search was reopened. A lot of people are wondering why. What brought the town back into the running? And they're the, the, the winners. Yes, yes. They, uh, the tribe said that they wanted to reopen because some of the proposals on the table, particularly the one in East Hartford, had changed pretty dramatically. The developer kept adding new sweeteners to the deal, um, you know, adding something with Hartford in there. And so they really felt that they needed to go back out again because some of these had changed so dramatically. So East, East Windsor came back um, with the, the showcase proposal. And uh, as you said, they were selected. 
For people who may not um, go up to East Windsor or know that part of the state, tell us about the location where this third casino could go if approved again by the state legislature. Okay, so it's one, if you've traveled on I-91 going up north, you have seen it. Um, It is the old uh, Showcase Cinema site kind of a setback up on a hill, but you can definitely see it from I-91. And uh, for a very long time, uh, 10 years or more, it's been vacant. And um, so that that is where they they hope to place it. And we're going to hear from the first selectman from East Windsor, uh, Robert Maynard, coming up a little later in the show, as well as some East Windsor residents. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We're talking about casinos. Again, the the tribes, the Mashantucket Pequots and the Mohegans, they selected East Windsor for this potential third casino in the state of Connecticut. Uh, We know this is a contentious issue. Uh, where do you stand? What do you think about this plan to open a casino to compete with MGM Springfield, a casino that will open in Springfield, I believe, in September of 2018 or so? That's correct. Uh, we, you can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. Let's talk about some drama that might be brewing in the General Assembly. Again, this bill to allow the tribes to open a casino off-reservation land in East Windsor, now that they've chosen the town. That's before the Public Safety Committee. There's another bill now in play. Tell us about that. That's correct, Lucy. Uh, the, uh, the bill has been introduced now and is expected to go to public hearing next Thursday, uh, opening that wants to open up the process to more potential operators to submit proposals. Uh, and those may not be just uh, um, focused on North Central Connecticut. It may be another part of the state. Uh, the proponents behind that bill are saying we really should look at it this more broadly. When this uh, kind of developed back in the beginning of 2015, the the legislature kind of just focused on uh, the tribes that were here, okay, the Mohegans and the Mashantucket Pequots, and created this two-step process where you go out and find a site and then come back to us, and then we'll decide whether we want to actually expand gaming off tribal uh, reservations. How would this competing bill jeopardize the relationship the state of Connecticut has with the tribes? Well, they they say that it wouldn't necessarily put, you know, scrap the plan, but it would just give, um, you know, uh, the the state a a more broad view of different ideas for expanding gaming and whether maybe gaming should be expanded at all. And, um, I mean, it could create, certainly could create some tension between uh, the state and the tribes, which, you know, they've had a, a pretty good relationship over the years. It's hard to believe it's already March. The committee now is under the gun to get bills voted on before they go to the full General Assembly. Any tension within the committee? There are obviously two co-chairs of the Public Safety Committee. They seem to be on different sides of the issue. They are very much on different sides of the issue. Uh, One of the co-chairs, Senator Tim Larson from East Hartford, has been and continues to be a very firm supporter of what the tribes, what their vision is for East Windsor, for a satellite uh, casino in uh, and now in East Windsor where it's uh, the development agreement has been assigned. But then there's also his other co-chair, Representative Joe Varengia, who really does think that there should be a broader look at this. So you have two very different uh, viewpoints right at the very head of the committee. When we talk about the promises that this third casino could bring. Can we break that down a little bit more? So there again, MGM Springfield will be opening in the fall of next year. If this third casino gets approval and opens in East Windsor, what does that mean in terms of jobs and in terms of revenue for the state? Okay, well, they're saying that we'll preserve, so that the, we'll preserve some of the revenue that is there and we won't see a continued erosion, okay? 
But they're also saying that it could bring many jobs to the region, 1,700 plus the construction jobs. And they're, for the region and for the town, they have made a commitment in their agreement to hire a certain percentage from East Windsor and then from the 25-mile radius around East Windsor. Okay, so there, there is benefit for there in terms of jobs. When we ever hear, whenever we hear about construction um, projects in Connecticut, there are there is concern whether uh, the, all of the workers will be coming from um, the local region. Any concern that you know there is a, a portion that will be set aside for for people that are around uh, North Central uh, Connecticut. But a lot of these jobs will be filled from out of state. That's correct. And that uh, that uh, concern has come up already in um, uh, the legislative hearing last week and also um, from at the uh, town meeting in East Windsor last Saturday. That was also expressed. So, yes, there is a concern there. And the t- in terms of the location, North Central Connecticut, MGM has been very vocal in this whole process because they stand to lose uh, with this uh, third uh, casino potentially open again in uh, near Springfield. Why North Central Connecticut? Why not, as we've talked about this before, why not the southwest portion of the state? Well, originally, uh, even before this process started back in 15, there was some thought that maybe we would have a few around the state. But the General Assembly focused on North Central Connecticut because that was close to Springfield, could kind of go head to head, okay? But there are different schools of thought as to whether people will actually stop in East Windsor and not go just a few extra miles up to Springfield. Yesterday, uh, Chairman Kevin Brown of the Mohegans said that there, he believes people will stop there and that there are people who gamble who are called convenience gamblers and that they like to be kind of close to where they're going and... Um, he cited a 19-mile radius, okay, and that he said that there he believes there are enough people based on their their population of people who come to the casinos down in southeastern Connecticut that this will be successful. He also cited a, a situation up near Buffalo, New York, where there's an, a tribe up there who operates two uh, Seneca Nation, right? Mm-hmm. Two casinos, uh, very uh, close to each other, and both he says, are doing okay. Also controversy with how East Windsor approved the development agreement. It was up to the Board of Selectmen. Again, we're going to hear from one of the officials from uh, East Windsor, Robert Maynard. He's the first selectman. Some residents said, why not a referendum? Why don't you let the residents put this to a vote? Mm-hmm. Yes, that definitely did come up on its Saturday's meeting. And um, the Board of Selectmen and their attorneys said that, no, we don't need to do that. Um, we Our charter allows us to do it this way. And they did also cite the need for, it was a timely matter here, that uh, the tribes had to get something to the, the committee, the Public Safety Committee, because they have a deadline of March 16th to get something to the, to the full House and Senate. So they're definitely under a time constraint. But there definitely was a feeling that, you know, just because you approve this doesn't mean the whole town would. Reaction from Windsor Locks. They were in the running there was some vocal opposition there. East Windsor, easiest path for this uh, casino to open because there's not a lot of opposition from at least the officials, elected officials? Right. Well, um, I think that Windsor Locks was definitely, you know, I talked to uh, um, the first selectman, Chris Kervick, uh, the day after. And, yes, there was definitely some disappointment that uh, that they didn't, that they weren't chosen, okay? Um, 
so yes, there there was and there there was opposition there, but I think there was opposition in both places. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. In studio with me is the Hartford Current's Ken Gosselin, who's been reporting for some t- time now this uh, project, this idea, proposal for the Mashantucket Pequots and Mohegan tribes to open a third casino in Connecticut. Uh, the idea is to compete against MGM Springfield, a $950 million facility slated to open in Springfield. This casino, Ken, in East Windsor, if it opens, how does that compare? To, to I'm sorry to, to Springfield to, oh to Springfield oh, m- oh, oh much much smaller of course mm-hmm. you know it would be only um, two hundred thousand square feet uh, half would be uh, gaming half would be retail restaurant um, you know maybe some little entertainment but it wouldn't be this sprawling uh, complex that they're talking about up in Springfield. Now, coming up, we're going to hear from town leaders and residents from East Windsor about the project. Again, it's not a done deal yet. The General Assembly must approve the casino deal. What do you think? Do you think the legislature should permit the tribes to open a third casino off-reservation land to compete with MGM Springfield? You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. Email where we live at WMPR.org. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Earlier this week, East Windsor was chosen by the Mashantucket Pequots and Mohegan tribes as a site for a potential third casino, a casino that officials hope will compete with MGM Springfield, set to open late next year. Now, do you live in East Windsor or one of the surrounding towns in north central Connecticut? Would you support a new casino and the promise of jobs and extra revenue? You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. In studio with me is Ken Gosselin, real estate and financial services reporter for the Hartford Current. And joining the conversation now is East Windsor's First Selectman, Bob Maynard. First Selectman Maynard, welcome to the show. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about why you and the board support this deal and and what benefits your town will get. Um, Well, first of all, I think Ken Gosselin did a very good job. I was listening to him, and he he has a very good understanding of the uh, casino and the process. So uh, feel free to come in and add something. Um, I uh, want to uh, say, as, as Ken did, that uh, this is uh, very important to the uh, north central region of Connecticut. So it really goes beyond uh, East Windsor. And uh, in the north central region, uh, it, it's kind of declined over the years. And uh, right now, with the uh, addition of this casino and what's going uh, on just across the river in Windsor Locks. Now, uh, East Windsor is... Uh, has a walking bridge, an old walking bridge that that's, has two lanes of traffic on it too, and has a wide sidewalk. People fish off the bridge, and uh, in, in the 50s, people used to walk across the bridge, get on the train at the train station there in Windsor Locks, and, and go into Hartford to work in the insurance companies, and then come home and walk across the bridge to where home was in East Windsor. Um, and recently, the, the not in the last. I'm not sure how many years, 20, 30 years, the train station was moved away from that area uh, to a, a commuter parking lot. Um, now uh, the state of Connecticut is going to bring back uh, the old or re- revitalize the old train station and add a new portion to it. 
and uh, re- start to revitalize Main Street in, in winter locks. And actually, people still can walk. The casino is only about seven tenths of a mile away from, and on the same uh, road is is 140. Uh, it's a state highway, and uh, so between the the in uh, the, the new commuter rail that's coming through Windsor Locks, they're going to put a second rail in. So it's quite expensive, and and this will allow 12 trains a day to uh, go from Hartford to Springfield and back. And uh, so this. That, coupled with a, a casino in the area, would really vi- revitalize uh, north-central uh, Connecticut and all the towns surrounding it, which is Enfield and Suffield and Windsor Locks and uh, Windsor and South Windsor. So it would really help our region uh, of the state. And uh, as Ken mentioned, uh, the state uh, is going to lose approximately $70 million in tax revenue uh, to uh, the uh, MGM Resorts International Casino, and uh, being a, a municipal manager, uh, I realize the state is in dire need of money right now. Uh, our uh, the state gives us funding uh, in the sense it's it's a uh, a cost reimbursement, and uh, they last year they gave us six million dollars. They had been doing it right along for uh, several years, and now they, this year they cut it down to. 5.5 million, and actually going into next year, uh, the gov- the uh, budget is proposed to cut uh, two and a half million away from that. So we really we've been reduced 50 uh, percent in the last two years, and and that's very difficult for us to make up. We only have 11,400 uh, people living here, and it's very difficult for us to uh, tax to to make up mm-hmm. that. So we really kind of need the revenue that would come from uh, the casino. And can we talk about the revenue that you expect if this deal again gets approval from the legislature for specifically uh, yeah. for East Windsor? Uh, well, it as I said, there would be revenue for the state of Connecticut. And there, there would but what be, about uh, your town, Selectman? Specifics yeah. about the money your town will be getting. The specifics about the money uh, my town would get, and this is something that is in the development agreement and it's available on our website. Well, we uh, worked with the tribal nations uh, for a long period of time to uh, establish this agreement, and we think it's uh, beneficial to, to everybody, including the people in the region. But uh, the specifics are the uh, uh, tribal nations will give us $3 million up front, and that will be uh, 15 months before the casino opens. So this will allow us to hire policemen, train policemen, and, and otherwise uh, put money towards the impact of the casino in, in uh, East Windsor. Then once the casino opens, and that would be uh, determined by the certificate of occupancy, so our building inspector would say that this is a safe building and, and you can open the building, then um, they will uh, start paying us uh, taxes on a on a, on the assessment, which will come probably come to about 5.5 million dollars a year. So we'll in taxes we'll receive 5.5 million, and then in addition to that, we, they will give us an impact grant of uh, three million dollars a year, uh, in part, as long as they continue to uh, do business. So. Actually, once they open, the uh, town will get uh, $8.5 million a year, mm-hmm. and, and the, three, the, three point, 
$3 million grant will be used uh, exclusively mm -hmm. to, to uh, mitigate the impact of the uh, casino mm -hmm. on East Windsor. So it sounds like, I mean, it's, it's a good deal for East Windsor because you're going to be seeing extra revenue, but with anticipation of losing money from the state as these budget years uh, keep progressing with uh, billion-dollar deficits, do you anticipate the town will just break even? And that's what I thought. The minute I saw the uh, the uh, rec reducing our uh, cost sharing with the state, I said, my gosh, they're taking a casino away from uh, m several of the municipalities in, in uh, the region. So I... I do hope uh, the casino will come here. It will help us mitigate that, but the state is uh, really turning to other sources for revenue. And what about uh, stress on social services in the town of East Windsor? Tell me about that. You mentioned 11,000 residents. Tell me about the people and the needs that they have and some of the concern that with a casino, you're going to see uh, more of a stress on social services because of some of the things that casinos may bring to your community. Well, um, I would I would be more concerned if there wasn't a uh, very much larger casino 14 miles up the road and uh, it, the people who one of the major uh, I would say uh, social uh, problems or human services problems would be uh, gambling addiction and I I can certainly sympathize with the people who say gambling addiction is a bad thing and hurts families it does and uh, there are there the uh, addictive behavior is 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 something that human beings have to to deal with and uh how we deal with that is uh, another question and and i i and we in our community and in new england in the state have a terrible uh, addiction problem with heroin that's killing our children and 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 our adults too uh we really have to address that uh and i'm not saying that uh, that's that's something that that's different. But uh, mm -hmm. taking other addictions like smoking or alcohol, um, that though that's behavior that hurts people, mm -hmm. and and we have to through education uh, really uh, address that. Um, and I know that that the state, or not the state, but the country actually put an amendment in which uh, was prohibition that prevented the sale of alcohol, and and that didn't work out. They had to change the amendment, uh, the constitution back and. Uh, so it would be sold. So I think there's a danger in trying to eliminate uh, something that, that can be uh, detrimental. But you're right. We have to deal with uh, any problems that in even, like I say, if, mm -hmm. if they don't build a, a, a casino here in East Windsor, we'll still have to deal with the gambling problem that is going to be caused 14 miles away. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Uh, that was First Selectman of East Windsor, Robert Maynard. Today we're talking about the potential of a third casino opening in the town of East Windsor. And now I wanted to go to a resident of the town, Denise Terry, uh, who is also senior pastor at the East Granby Con Congregational Church. Denise, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be able to speak. Tell us about why you're opposed to this uh, this plan. I think my biggest concern is that the casino will take advantage of and prey on a vulnerable population of people, including older adults and those with already limited incomes and people uh, with addiction issues. Um, as, uh, as Mr. Maynard said, uh, the casino is expecting to make all of its money primarily off of the idea of convenience gamblers. Uh, people who live within 19 miles of this casino, and they're anticipating, the uh, MMCT Ventures is anticipating, 
$308 million of revenue a year coming into that casino. That's draining $308 million out of out of the communities that are within 19-mile radius. I'm deeply concerned about issues related to uh, addiction, uh, issues related to people spending their money at the casino and not having disposable income to spend at restaurants, entertainment uh, avenues in the area, money to pay their mortgages, money to keep up and maintain their homes and property values, um, issues related to the stresses of uh, spending too much money on gambling uh, that relate to bankruptcies, that relate to um, divorce, that relate to uh, domestic violence. Uh, there's a lot of stresses, and I think one of my big issues is that the Board of Selectmen has really selectively received information and not educated themselves in some very readable, easy-to-find uh, information about what are the social costs, mm -hmm. and they are huge in casinos. And well, Denise, I'd like to have the First Selectman respond before we take some more calls. Uh, First Selectman Maynard, You've heard these concerns before. Uh, you, you and your other um, selectmen voted in the development agreement last weekend. How do you respond? Well, I've, my first response would be, hello, Denise. And uh, <laughs> I've talked to Denise about this, and we've had this conversation before. Um, what, and what Denise says is, is correct, uh, that the uh, uh, casino has negative uh, impact on people. Some people, not all people. I, I plan to, and if actually there's probably a vast minority, I plan to go to the casino myself. I'm looking forward to that, and I'm, I'm not addicted to uh, gambling. But uh, I think what you have to take into account is, and I know Denise is a resident here in East Windsor, uh, that, as she said, within a 19-mile radius, uh, anybody who, who is addicted to gambling or, or is, needs to gamble and, and, and will lose their savings gambling can go right up uh, 14 miles away to this magnificent uh, casino in, in Springfield. So it's not going to minimize the impact of uh, gambling on the town of East Windsor at all. And, and we would certainly like the, uh, the revenue to help uh, the people in our town and in our region who, who, are, who suffer from the, uh, the gambling that's going to take place in, um, in just 14 miles away from our town. But I'd also like to point out, too, that uh, the, the tribal nations uh, live in Connecticut, and they're, they're, they, Connecticut is their home, and, and they've been part of Connecticut for uh, longer than, than the residents of East Windsor have farmed this land, and it's our home too. So this partnership with the uh, uh, Mashantucket, Pequot, and uh, Mohegan uh, tribal nations is, is something that's really going to preserve Connecticut or help preserve mm -hmm. Connecticut, and we're, we're proud to be in this partnership with them to to build uh, uh, up uh, north central Connecticut and, and save money for uh, Connecticut. Well, before we take some calls, I wanted to get some perspective from other residents in the state. I wanted to go back to the Hartford Currents, uh, Ken Gosselin, in studio with me. We keep hearing this term convenience gamblers who, who may be you know, coming off uh, exit 45, I believe, in East Windsor that could go to this uh, potential third casino if it opens. Any studies on whether these convenience gamblers would then, you know, check out some other restaurants or attractions in East Windsor, or are they just going to strictly go to this casino and then go back home? I have not seen any 
study uh, that talked about whether they would go to other uh, venues in a town, okay? I mean, that would be possible because they might be driving right by there. Um, one concern with uh, casinos, though, is that once you get in, you are probably going to stay there. And in the case of East Windsor, um, you know, there'll be restaurants in there, there'll be shops in there. There may be, as I said earlier, small entertainment venues where bands might play and such. Um, so th- whether people would actually then leave the casino and then go to dinner somewhere else, that I'm, I have not seen a study, but once you get in, sometimes you stay in. Mm-hmm. Nick's calling from Bristol. Nick, you're on the show. Hi, thanks for taking my call. It's unfortunate that finally I get for WNPR and I disagree, okay, with a lot of things that are being said there. You know, Connecticut already established an economy of addiction, okay? That's a fact. And people have learned how to handle their own addiction. Um, and I do agree that there's people out there to get carried away and they go overboard. But to me, the issue shouldn't be gambling or any other um, form of addiction. It's how to attract jobs in the state of Connecticut, skilled jobs, jobs that pay a standard of living that people can afford to raise a family and have extra money to gamble or smoke and drink if they want whatever they want to do, okay? But if Connecticut continues on the route of not encouraging companies, manufacturers, high-tech to come, to, to come here, establish their business, and encourage growth within the com- communities, it doesn't matter if you put a casino there. You know, put one in Waterbury. You know, what's the big difference? The fact is, there's students out there that have high student loans they can't afford to pay back because they can't find a decent paying job. Casinos don't pay, okay? That's a proven fact. They pay minimum wage, a little buff, all right? Most of the money get there is on tips, gratuities, right? And so, you know, there's restaurants in there. Okay, why would you put a whole score of restaurants in a casino and then wonder why they're not going into the mm-hmm. town? Well, Nick, to you buy make food. Nick, you make a lot of good points. I wish there was a legislator that could answer some of that. We did reach out to uh, Senate leadership; uh, they were unable to uh, come on the show. Also, to one of the, at least the co-chairs of the Public Safety Committee. But again, good good points. Residents uh, can who see that the state should be focused more on attracting businesses that pay good wages, not how do we get a buck off the person if they go in and gamble. Well, that certainly has been part of the debate um, here as to the, the the kinds of jobs that are created and certainly where it fits into the broader economic development strategy of the state. And, of course, the state is trying to attract other types of businesses here. I want to go to Jan and Avon. Jan, you're on the show. Hi, I agree with Denise, uh, I believe the pastor, wholeheartedly. Nick had some very good points. Uh, this Mr. Maynard, I, I'm just ashamed of what is wrong is wrong. They're taking money from many, many people who really don't have it, who could be spending their money in productive, constructive ways, and it's going to the 
to the rich. Let's, let's do things that are right and honorable and will enhance people's lives. Gambling, casinos uh, are just disgusting in so many ways. And if there is a little bit of good, it could be done a million fold with other venues. And it's just clear cut to me and so many other people. It's wrong. Mm -hmm. And let's have a chocolate sundae and eat a hundred of them because it tastes good. This is just insanity. Well, thank you, Jan. Thank you so much for your comment. Um, I'm curious, Ken, but before we go back to the East Windsor selectman and uh, resident Denise Terry uh, to respond a little bit before we head to break, we're hearing whenever we do shows about casinos and gambling and whether the state should be, you know, taking a revenue from people, maybe on fixed income or the working poor, uh, you know, a lot of times we're hearing from people who are opposed to casinos. So what is the actually the dynamic within the General Assembly? What, the, these lawmakers who represent these residents. Well, I think there there's a dichotomy here that we have. Um, I think that some of the concerns that have been raised um, over from your callers and from your uh, other guests, those exist definitely in the General Assembly right now. Um, there are a couple of very high-profile um, senators who have expressed just those mm-hmm. concerns. And so, but there's a tension between that and what do we do to, in a state that has a very difficult budget situation, to try to, you know, keep revenue here, not just even bring it, but just to keep it from eroding. So it is a, there's a very big tension there. And what's the take from the governor's office? Well, the governor is, you know, of course, he signed the, uh, the bill that allowed the tribes to go out and search for a location, okay? But just yesterday, he is now looking at uh, some of the very very important legal issues that still remain that, you know, could even stand in the way of this expansion, okay, as to what kind of court challenges there might be. How does the, you know, expand the tribes expanding off their reservations to a private piece of property, a commercial casino, affect the money that they pay to the state, okay, every month through the slot revenue? And those those issues have not been fully sorted out yet. And what the governor did yesterday, he went to the attorney general who has expressed some concerns in the past and just say, we need to have a legal opinion on this that really gives us direction. Mm. Spencer's calling from Norwich. Spencer, you're on the show. Uh, hey, how's it going? Well. Um, so I just wanted to say I, I, uh, I support this uh, the idea of this casino coming in because uh, it definitely benefits the work that I do. Um, I work in the music industry for a, a backline company which uh, rents musical instruments. And I literally just left the casino in Uncasville dropping off uh, equipment. So any new client that we can get, I think that's a great thing. All right, Spencer. Well, thank you for your call. I wanted to go back to First Selectman Maynard. Again, uh, your town, uh, your board of selectmen approved uh, this development agreement. Now it's the the ball is in uh, the legislature's uh, court. So what do you think is going to happen? Do you believe that a casino is going to be able to open in your town? Um, that's quite. That's up to the, the legislature, and uh, that'll be an interesting uh, discussion and, and the vote that they have. But I just wanted to answer something that Nick said, and I, I appreciate what he said, uh, that the casino here, if we get one, uh, will have 1,200 uh, full-time jobs, and the, 
the full-time jobs will pay $43,000 a year plus benefits, their union jobs. So those are good jobs, and you can raise a family on that. Um, also, uh, the jobs that will be created by the casino would is just like your last call-in person said. There's ancillary businesses that support the casino, like instrumental or or uh, landscaping or, or electricians or and many others. So uh, there's jobs created there, and those are good jobs too. So uh, this will be a, a good uh, thing as far as jobs goes for the region. And Denise Terry, again, you're an East Windsor resident. You oppose this plan. Uh, what's next uh, for town residents? Again, the, the agreement's been reached with uh, the tribe. Uh, the tribes. Uh, do you feel like now you're just going to wait to see if the legislature responds and, and, and listens to residents like yourself? Well, we are not just sitting around waiting. We're very active. In fact, today, East Windsor residents who are also registered voters can sign a petition that would uh, force a non-binding referendum but would give the legislature information about the fact that this is not uh, something that everyone in East Windsor is interested in having in our town. Today at St. Catharines on Windsorville Road in Broadbrook from 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock, Tomorrow from uh, 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock at St. John's Church on 92 Main Street in East Windsor, uh, residents are welcome to sign a uh, petition that would force a uh, non-binding referendum. Uh, Monday evening at the high school at 7 o'clock, you could also sign the petition there where we will be having an informational forum uh, with former Congressman Bob Steele, who will speak. He was the congressman from the district where the two existing casinos are and has written a book titled The Curse, Big Time Gambling's Seduction of a Small New England Town. Um, he will be there. I will be there. Uh, members of the Coalition Against uh, Casino Expansion in Connecticut will be there to ask questions and inform the community about the social and economic costs of a potential casino. Also, there is a public hearing of the Public Safety and Security Committee to take place next Thursday the 9th at 8.30 at the Legislative Office Building, and we are encouraging every East Windsor resident who is against this casino to show up and uh, write a testimony and speak for two minutes uh, with the legislators about your thoughts about this casino. Uh, this is definitely not a done deal. Uh, the legislators are not of one mind about this. And if they know that this community does not want this, they will um, act on our behalf, we believe. So uh, we are not just sitting back and waiting. One of the things I do want to comment on that uh, Mr. Maynard said about jobs, uh, as, as was noted earlier, in the deal that the town has made with the casino operators, they have only uh, offered that they will make, quote unquote, reasonable efforts to achieve a workforce with only 4% of the workers coming from the town, that's 68 jobs, they will make a reasonable effort, we're not sure what that means, to give uh, another 200 and 55 jobs to people who live within 25 miles, which would include a lot of Massachusetts residents. Uh, they, in the state uh, legislative building last week in public hearing, said that they do not anticipate hiring any new vendors from this area, that they already have 1,700 vendors that they use, and that they're just going to be trying to keep them in business. Uh, the other 1,377 jobs 
they have promised to people who they have already laid off at their other two casinos in the southern part of the state. So this is not going to be a big jobs producer uh, for our region. And of the 1,700 jobs that they anticipate needing for construction, they would not commit to the legislature last week that any of those jobs would go to Connecticut people. In fact, they acknowledge that it will be a lot cheaper for them to hire construction labor from Massachusetts. All right, Denise, unfortunately, we're running out of time, but we do want to thank you. Denise Terry, East Windsor resident, also first selectman of East Windsor, Robert Maynard. Thank you for your time. Thank, Thank you, you very much. And Ken Gosselin, real estate and financial services reporter for the Hartford Current. I'm betting you're going to be at that public hearing next week. Oh, yes, I will. <laughs> well, I appreciate <laughs> your sure. time. Again, we were talking about this uh, plan to open a third casino in East Windsor. Now it's up to the state legislature. I'm sure we'll have an update in another month or so. And right now we're going to actually go to break. When we come back, we're going to talk baseball. This is where we live. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Now we're switching over to sports. Over the last four years, there have been a number of changes to rules in professional sports, from the placement of kickoffs in the NFL to overtime shootouts in the NHL. But what about rule changes in the sport known as America's pastime? To tell us more, we're joined now by Frankie Graziano, sports producer at Connecticut Public Broadcasting Network. Hi, Frankie. Good morning, Lucy. How are you today? I'm doing well. So this all revolves around something called the intentional walk. Tell us what that is and what's the rule change. Yeah, seems to be a lot of panic about it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny. Um, the intentional walk has been around forever. Uh, it's been a staple of baseball. This is not the first time that its existence has been into question. They were thinking about banning it in 1920 because of <laughs> how boring they thought it was, the, the, the MLB, because mm -hmm. they were getting less action. So recently, in the war on dead time, as mm -hmm. what Jason Stark called it when we interviewed him for our WNPR piece, they are looking at cutting time. And, and Rob Manford, who's a commissioner, this is his platform. Since 2005 or 2015, he introduced these pace of play rules, and they're really, really trying to speed up the game because they're thinking young kids aren't watching the game anymore. There was a Harris poll in like 1985 that said that the game of baseball was the second most popular sport, just one percent behind the NFL. They did the same poll in 2015, and it was. 18% behind it. Now, you mentioned Jason Stark. You interviewed him, ESPN.com senior baseball writer. Here's what he told you. He wants to increase the pace of action and wants to decrease dead time. So that's where the intentional walk change fits in. It's symbolic to say this is the first shot in that war on dead time. Now, when I asked you about intentional uh, intentional walks, tell us about the strategy. strategy. Why is it used? Well, basically, it is a strategy play, as you mentioned, you want to put a guy on if you're afraid that he's going to kill you with his bat and hit a home run. Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds. We'll get to that in a second. Or it's just simply, hey, I think I can get the double play. Let me walk this next guy. When you talk about Barry Bonds, he won the MVP four years in a row from 2001 to 2004. He was intentionally walked 275 times. Only six times in the game's history was somebody walked with the bases loaded. Buck Showalter, who was Arizona's manager, said, I don't want to deal with this guy. Bases loaded, lets a run come in, he walks him. 
Barry Bonds was that dangerous at that time because he hit a home run every nine times he stepped up to the plate in 2001. Babe Ruth didn't even do that. So the thought was, let's intentionally walk this guy. And now they're getting rid of that. They're saying, hey, you don't have to throw four pitches out of the zone. All you got to do is make a signal, and we'll be able to put that guy on automatically with the umpire getting the signal from the coach at the dugout. What does this moment mean for the major for Major League Baseball? The idea that this rule change has been enacted just recently – are people worried we're going to be hearing about more changes to this this traditional sport that people love? Even the most hardened baseball purist is down with them speeding the game up. They're cool with that. It's more of a thing where the baseball purist is saying, hey, it's only 35 seconds per average game that you're getting rid of with the intentional walk. Because of plate discipline, Lucy, because of the fact that these guys are just swinging at every single pitch nowadays— they don't have to intentionally walk people as much as they used to. So they're saying, hey, you don't have to do that. You don't have to get rid of this because it's fun to watch these guys who have never before this level. They do in college, but in high school they don't know how to throw an intentional walk because that rule, they just put them on like they do with the majors now. They've been doing that forever. But it's funny to watch these major league pitchers do that. But the way that Major League Baseball is going forward and what Jason Stark was intimating in the interview is they want to – this is the first step in, in eliminating dead time in in this war on dead time. And this is one of the things that they're trying to do. It's it's going to go further, but this is just a small step. That's what Major League Baseball's thinking. You keep using the phrase dead time. So what about a pitch clock? Pitch clock. That's where the that's where the purists and the players are panicking. I mean, when when we first started working on the story a, a couple of weeks ago, it was announced that Major League Baseball approved it. The players didn't say yes right away because they're saying just as what everybody was worried about, where are we going with this? What are you going to do next? The pitch clock worries the pitchers a little bit be, or because it's it's a little more pressure to get the ball to the plate. They like to work a little bit faster, so it may help in the long end, but batters are saying, hey, I can't call a timeout. What's the deal with that? And then there was the scary rule that I think panicked everybody. What's that? They're trying something out in the in the near future where in the lowest reaches of minor leagues, they're going to put a base runner on second if we go to extra innings. I'm a crazy baseball fan, so I've seen a 20-inning game. I can't tell. Nobody will watch a 20-inning game. I don't know who, Lucy. <laughs> but uh, but in the furthest reaches of minor leagues, to save these guys from destroying their arms and having to use a lot of pitchers, they're saying, hey, let's start with the extra innings with a guy on second base. That'll give us a chance to see someone score quicker. And everybody's saying, hey, that better not happen to my damn major leagues. <laughs> they don't want to see that in the future. But to quell that, um, Manfred said on uh, ESPN's Mike and Mike a, a week ago that that would never happen at the major league uh, level because they just want to save arms at the lower level. And Jason Stark said players would never agree to that. So don't expect that anytime soon. That's the one that had everybody going. This is Frankie Graziano, sports producer at Connecticut Public Broadcasting Network. Now, you also talked to some local people, people who love the game, who are coaches. Tell us about uh, this East Catholic High School coach that you interviewed in Manchester and what he said about the, the rule the rule change. Martin Fiore as, as coach East Catholic, they're a really good baseball team around here and he's not complaining about the rule at the high school level because they've done it forever. That's all he knows. But he's saying at the major league level, him and his peers are saying, "Why do this now? It's almost pointless because again, you're only shaving a few seconds off." And he comes from that purist background where he says, "Hey, 
it's a strategy game. You know, why are we looking to do these things further? It's not necessarily about the intentional walk now. It's what are you going to do later? And he comes from that side of the coin. Now, we, you alluded to this earlier, but with this rule change now in the MLB, what's going to happen to the rules in college and high school ball? Well, I guess you have to watch college now because college still does the intentional walk the way that everybody is used to the traditional four-pitch walk. And I, I, I bet your listeners that are hearing this, if they're not the ones that like this fun conversation, they're like, what the hell is the difference between the four-pitch and the, and the other thing? But at the same time, it is one of those things where on the same day, on February 22nd, when MLB approved these rules, they did say uh, they, this did happen at the college level where somebody had an intentional walk mishap that people like to see where there was a runner on third in the 12th inning and they were going to have the base open. They wanted a chance at a double play in this game to put the runner on and instead the guy threw it away and the winning run scored. So you might not see that at any other level but college now. So everybody's going to be watching college for that. And before we let you go, I alluded also to the fact that the Yard Goats might finally be playing next month. <laughs> What's your take? Well, we're going to see. We're going to see what the Yard Goats, um, The one of the things I'm watching now is, is they're going to eventually have one of these um, games where they're trying to see how they could prepare for the season. It's like a it's like a it's like a game where they're preparing to see. And uh UConn and Uha might play there on April 5th, so that's something to watch uh, as they try to develop the stadium. That's Frankie Graziano, sports producer at CPBN. Frankie, thanks for uh, coming on and you are very full of energy at uh, 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> well, thank you and a happy hearty good morning. <laughs> The show is produced by Jeff Tyson and Lydia Brown. Our technical producer is Kion Wolf. WNPR's executive producer is Katie Talarski. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Have a great weekend.